welcome to this last week in this series through the book of Psalms that we've titled Waiting for Daylight. And it's the pearl of the Psalms. If, if you've been with us in this season, we've been talking about what is God doing? Where is he on the dark nights of life? I think he's doing something in us and through us and teaching us all kinds of things. So we've been looking at David's words. We come to the last line in the Psalm and it reads like this. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Some of your Bibles read. This is a theme that David comes back to a number of times in his poetry, in his Psalms. In Psalm, in Psalm 84, he says, blessed are those who dwell in the house of the Lord. Psalm 121, he says, I, I, 122, he says, I rejoice when they said to me, come with us to the house of God to worship. I love this in, in Psalm 8410, the message Bible reads like this, one day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats a thousand spent on Greek island beaches. How do you like that? So when David says, I will dwell in the, the house of the Lord all the days of my life, there's really a double meaning, two meanings in that. The first is clearly he's saying, I want to be with God's people in his place of worship, worshiping God. So those places of worship, the sacred spaces that he's referring to. And then he's, of course, saying, I want to forever be part of God's house, God's family. I want to be the son, the child, the, do- the, the child of God all the days of my life. For the Hebrew people, they always had sacred spaces, places where they came to worship God. It's not that they thought God wasn't in the other places, in a desert somewhere, or in their house, or in a, in, in a room that you pray. And of course God is there. But there are places that the Hebrew people wanted to come together to celebrate their common faith. They call them synagogues or temples. But David introduces us to this very unique and powerful language when he calls this place of worship the house of God. It's because of David's language that we call our worship space at the Grove what we do. We don't call our our worship space, we don't call it a worship auditorium. We don't call it our worship center. We don't call it a sanctuary or we don't even call it big church. We call it our worship house, just like David does. It's house language because we want this to be a place where when people enter into it, they feel like they have come home, come home to God, come home to people who are with them. So when we decided to build this space, we wanted to make sure we got it right. We wanted to build the right kind of house, of worship house. We had been meeting in a sanctanasium, if you want names for worship places. Our sanctanasium was a gym Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday, it was our worship place. It was a carpeted gym, and we were for four services jamming in like over 600 people a service, and so finally we decided to build a new space. And so I remember clearly taking this big manila yellow legal pad to Barnes and Noble and meeting with a couple of our pastors and I sketched for them an idea that I had. And it was a stage in the middle of the room and I put seating terraces all around it and I was trying to describe in different levels. Paul Gunther, who grew up in Thailand, said, oh, it's like rice patties. I said, well, kind of like rice patties, but people are supposed to sit there. And finally, we landed on this language. We, we wanted to call them seating neighborhoods all around this stage in the middle of the room. 
Well, now we needed an architect because that's not me. And so I had heard that there was an architect in the Phoenix area, in Scottsdale, who designed some churches, but he had a unique he had a unique take on designing churches. He had a Frank Lloyd Wright kind of take. I was like, I need to meet this guy. And so I made an appointment with Jack DeBartolo. And when I first talked to him on the phone, he said, oh, man, I, I'm recovering from jet lag. I just returned from Liberia. I thought, this must be a divine connection. Liberia is my home. Jack had taken his ASU students there to pro bono design and start construction on some some schools back in the interior, back in, in the jungle for kids after the Civil War. So I told Jack about our dreams and our aspirations in this worship house and these seating neighborhoods. And he gave us the most stunning worship space. If you haven't been here yet, then when this virus is over, you have to come over because it's something like you've never seen. But I, I described to Jack how we didn't want a room to follow the trajectory that so many church, church constructions have taken. First of all, I said, Jack, we don't want beige Arizona stucco. There's too much of that everywhere. And I felt like churches had, had, were beginning to look banal and they were, they were dark on the inside, going deep with rows of chairs, no natural light at all. So I said, Jack, we need some natural light. We got to get away from the whole stucco look. What can you do? And, and the truth is we wanted a space that would speak to people when you, talk, when you walked in. We, and, and I described it like this. We want something that's like a giant New Testament living room. When people walk in, we want them to feel like they've just come home. But it needs to seat like 1,800 to 2,000 people. And he said, we can do that. And he got the idea of the fact that, that spaces, buildings have a story to tell. If you think about it, all great architecture has a story to tell. The pyramids of Giza tell a story. The Sydney House of Australia has a story to tell. The Louvre in Paris, Frank Lloyd Wright's uh, Falling Water tells a story. You see, and so we wanted this space. Even the hard, raw construction materials would have something to say. So here's, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about the story that our worship house is saying to people when they come into this space to worship. First of all, we have large windows on all four sides of the room. And, and they're floor to ceiling, like 10, 12 feet high. And I tell people this. I say, the, story, the, the windows are the reminder to all of us that our calling is out there. Like Jesus said, north, east, west, south, go to the ends of the earth with my name. Our calling is to go out there. And then out our windows, as you can see, even during, during this, this time that we're talking together, we have trees out here, pistachio trees. God is growing something out there, and he's growing something in here in our people. And you can see the blue Arizona skies that remind us of our futures out there. And then on our walls, we have reclaimed wood everywhere. And the reclaimed wood, I think, says something important. When... Live Love, our ministry that, that comes out of the Grove, acquired their first house in downtown Chandler for their ministry center and for interns. As they were refurbishing it, some of the neighbors in the neighborhood came around and said, do you guys know that you bought a drug house? This used to be a drug house. And then the neighbor said this, it used to be a drug house. Now it's a Jesus house. And so I picture the reclaimed wood 
on our walls, having that kind of story. That, that even buildings, I said, tell a story. That maybe this wood, who knows where it came from, but maybe it came from a house like the Live Love House in Chandler where, where bad things were happening, but now it has a second chance to be in a worship house, a place of worship, a place of God. And it tells the story of our lives, doesn't it? Because all of us need a second chance. All of us have messed up and spiraled and we get this chance to start again when we come into God's house to worship. I think we also, also the walls that have art on them tell a story. We have gallery after gallery around our worship house on the walls because we've always, from our inception, wanted to value artists, lift them up, and their art because art is just another medium, another way to express our worship and our love and our, and our heart for God. And so the art all over our campus and in our worship space, it's telling a story. And it's the story of our people who paint the art. Their stories are coming through the art. And then, like I said, we had seating neighborhoods. And these seating neighborhoods are scattered all over the room with, with an eclectic mix of furniture. And the neighborhoods do this. They remind us that at the the core of our spirituality is that it's very relational, that we we do this following God of God best when we do it with others, that the people around us lift us up, pull us up out of our dark places. It's always easier to follow God when you're following him with friends. And so we have seating, we call them more seating hoods than neighborhoods all over this place where people come together and they sit with their friends and family or they make new friends and family and they sit together as one. Sometimes when people see our mix of furniture in the place, we have everything from high-top bistro tables to soft, comfortable couches to metal chairs to even pews. And I've had a few people say, well, how come you don't have like reclining theater seats? Because they say they've been in some churches that have reclining theater seats with a cup holder. And I'm like, well, I'm sure it works. I'm sure it works. But I think, you see, you have to remember that even chairs tell a story. A reclining theater seat says, get comfortable, get some popcorn and a big Coca-Cola, like a supersized one for that cup holder, because you're about to watch a show on a stage. And we wanted to flip the script on that. We want to say, no, you're not, you're not a spectator when you come into our worship house. You're a participant. This is about you and you meeting God and you worshiping God. This isn't about what's happening on the stage. It's about what all of us corporately are doing as we come together to worship and sing praise and learn together. It's about you. So that's why the seating is like that. And so... For me, one of the most powerful parts of this room is that very thing, that you get to see faces when you worship in our worship house because we've built the space in the round. I had, I had read a book and then had my staff uh, read a book on technology and worship and how it influences our worship. And I had read that the natural distance of sight and sound was 65 feet. And so when we did the math, the only way you could fit uh, 1,800 to 2,000 people in one room and keep them only 65 feet apart was to have seating or seating neighborhoods all the way around the room. So we've built 
our worship house. You could call it 360 in the round. It's not really in the round. It's in the square. There's seating on all sides. Because when people come in here to worship, one, you're not looking at a sea of back of heads. When you come in here and you worship, you're looking at people's faces. And there's natural light leaking in that lets you see the response in worship, the joy in singing, the power of prayer. You, can, you, you will see friends who you haven't seen forever. And I see people reconnecting every week as they come back together because they're seeing faces. When we were designing the space and even when it was under construction and people heard that we're building it in the round, they said, we've never seen a church like that before. You know, there's always the stage has to be up front. And so I had people ask me, well, Palmer, is it going to work? What's your plan B if this whole thing doesn't work? And I was like, well, there is no plan B. We just had to pray because we weren't going to use image magnification or iMag. We wanted to stay as authentic and text simple as possible. And the only places that we had seen work with within the round was with iMag. But it does work. And God just how, somehow worked a miracle through what Jack DeBartolo designed that we have this powerful worship experience here now. It's come out pretty much how I pictured the New Testament church, how they sat around in a living room and they were close. They could see each other's faces and they sang in prayers together. When we sit together in the round, it reminds me of a prayer that St. Patrick wrote. I mentioned it a few a few weeks ago. A friend of Josh Havens and mine, uh, Leland, wrote lyrics to this St. Patrick's evening prayer. Leland said he was in a pub and he said with some of the guys from his band. And he said when he said in the pub, he noticed that there were words written in large print all around the edge of the room. And it, and it hit him. It was St. Patrick's evening prayer around this pub. It read Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ beside me, Christ on my right hand, Christ on my left hand, Christ be all around me. So he writes this stunning song, Christ be all around. And, and, and he's right. And so when you come into this worship space in the run, you realize that Christ is all around. You have these people who love God all around. That's why I love our worship in, in this space with seating on every side. I said we have this eclectic mix of furniture. The furniture in our worship house, the furniture tells a story. We have, for example, high-top bistro tables like this one that, that I have my iPad on right now. And the bistro tables encourage coffee drinking. We're a coffee drinking church. We say, bring it on in. If you spill it, that's on us. Because coffee is a connecting drink. We tell we tell stories, our story over coffee. We meet people. We learn names over coffee. So the bistro tables, the coffee tables, they tell that. And then we have like couches all over the place and, and soft, comfortable furniture. And, and that simply says, that furniture says, the couches say, Shalom. If you've had a, a hard week, a tough day, maybe a bad experience at work or things are going really hard at home, and then come and just worship in Shalom. Find Find a soft, comfortable seat and let God use that. We also have pews even in here. These hard wooden pews, but they remind us that our worship tradition stretches back for generation and generations. This is following God, following Christ is not something brand new. We also have 
hard metal chairs and hard wooden chairs. And I said, seating has a message. Theater seats may say, lean back, you're, you're a spectator. Hard metal chairs and wooden chairs make you sit up and pay attention. They also say, don't get too comfortable here. Because your place in this world is not as good as a worship house. It, your place in this world is not meant to be here. God is sending you out there. So don't stay here too long. And then, of course, my favorite furniture in our worship house, and I said this earlier, is our big family, dining room, tables that seat 16, 18 people. Because those tables and the chairs around them, they tell a story too. They say that all people who walk into this worship house sit together at the table of Christ as one. Sit at one table as one people, as one family. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how messed up things have been in the past. Come sit at the Christ, Christ table with all of us together. It doesn't matter what nationality you are, what ethnicity, what race, what immigration status you have. None of that matters when you walk into this worship house of God. We sit together as one. And so today, as we talk about this worship house, I just want to remind you of David's language that he and Jacob and so many of the the Old Testament patriarchs used to talk about worshiping in God's presence. David in Psalm 23, 6, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then he says it like this in Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Even Jesus talked about the the place of worship like that. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer. That's Matthew chapter 21. The Hebrew people used used often the analogy that if someone was far from home, far from their house, They were far from God. That's how they used it. We want you to know it doesn't matter how far you've been. Come back to this worship house as a picture of you coming back to God. That invitation stands for everyone in our country, in our culture. uh, We have so many homes that are broken, houses that are broken. We have so many fathers or mothers who have walked away from home, and it's heartbreaking to even think about that. We have people who are homeless. They don't have a home. We have so many who live home alone, and that also is one of the toughest states in life. But we, as a church, want to say, come home, worship here. At Christmas time, this last Christmas, we built this big wall with a message that we wanted to have on Christmas Eve. And, and this, this wall with a message, it read, welcome home. And that was our, our Christmas Eve theme. Well, the idea was to take it down after Christmas, but then a pandemic struck and we kind of forgot about the wall and it's still up. But now we've decided, no, we need to leave it because one day soon, very soon, just in a matter of days and weeks, we, we all will be back in this place. And, and we want you to know that you are home now. No matter where you've been or how, how hard this has been, you are home now. And when you walk into this place, this message is going to greet you right here. And it says, welcome home, welcome home 
This place of worship, this worship house is for you.